It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good afternoon. This is Chickie Fitzgerald with the Executive Girlfriends Group. It is Friday, October 22nd, 2010. And it is my pleasure today to have as our guest Barbara Weaver-Smith, who is the co-author of Whale Hunting, How to Land Big Sales and Transform Your Company. And I want to just read for you quickly before I have Barbara introduce herself. Uh, one of the comments from the back uh, dust cover of her book Whale hunting is required reading for anyone who's going after a big fish in a market. Engaging, practical, and well-organized, it's simply the best book on major account selling out there. Someone once said that confidence is going after Moby Dick in a rowboat and bringing the mayonnaise. Whale hunting gives you the tools to pursue big deals with that kind of confidence. Well, Barbara, I can tell you that I am ready ready, willing, and, and able to land big sales, but I do need some of those practical tips. So why don't you give us a little bit of your background, and then we'll talk about how the whole whale hunting concept uh, came about. Well, sure, Chicky. Thank you so much for inviting me to be here today, and I'm really especially excited to be with the Executive Girlfriends Group. I would just like to say at the outset that in my experience with whale hunting over the past six years, women are extraordinarily good whale hunters. They get it. We get it. And so I'm always happy to be in front of and with a group of women who are working to grow their businesses. My background is eclectic. I'm in my third career. I was a university professor and a dean. I was a president of a not-for-profit organization, and I've been an entrepreneur for almost 15 years and uh, co-founded The Whale Hunter six years ago. And uh, through a fortuitous sequence of events, came up with the notion that um, the way the Inuit people of the far northwest coast of Alaska, the way they hunted whales 1,200 years ago offers uh, really incredible advice to modern business. And so I built a process and system and a great deal of materials around that. And that's what I'm here to talk with you and your friends about today. Okay, great. Well, uh, those who are regulars on the Executive Girlfriends Group know that I am a complete sucker for a well-organized, very, very practical book. And so I like to start off the call just by telling a little bit about how the book is organized. And, you know, I think uh, with this particular book, and this is not your first book, so I, I'd like you to, to step back a little bit and tell us about the kind of how the series emerged and what this particular book is supposed to be addressing. But just as you leaf through this book, there are all kinds of practical tools and and summaries at the end of each chapter, which helps you ask yourself the question about what is necessary uh, in 
you know, throughout the topic that Barbara has just disclosed. So, Barbara, why don't you tell us a little bit about the other books uh, in the series? Well, this one is kind of a standalone book because it uh, was published in January of 2008, and it was a culmination of a number of smaller books, and then I've had some iterations of it since then. So this this particular book that you're talking about describes the entire what we call the whale hunter's process. It's a how-to book, how to go through this process from beginning to end, and it's designed, it's very focused on small to mid-sized businesses, and it's very focused on how to grow your business in a particular way, which is making bigger sales to bigger customers, and that's why we call it whale hunting. Prior to publishing this book, I had several collections of articles uh, that dealt with parts of the process, um, hunting and scouting and harvesting. And since the publication of this book, I've had a specialty book on what I call whale hunting women, which I think you'll all enjoy. And it's not it's not a subset of whale hunting is just directed to women whale hunters and another uh, book called Winning Whales with an RFP and that's particularly for those of you who have to respond to RFP or RFQ or RFI requests but they're all centered on the same process which is how to grow by doing bigger deals, continually bigger deals with bigger customers. Well, as we were doing our introductions of, of the women who are on the phone live, I was sharing with you just a little bit about about my firm. And for the first 10 years of my firm's existence, which essentially was from 1995 to 2005, I was focused uh, solely on consulting, and and like most people who get involved in consulting in the very, very early years, it was very much hand-to-mouth, selling only what I could deliver personally, and then, you know, getting too much work as as, uh, is typical in the consulting industry and having to bring in other people to help. And then because of the state of the economy and, and just what was going on with the Internet, uh, at the end of the the uh, 90s, I ended up getting a bunch of very, very big deals, million-dollar consulting deals consecutively, three, three, almost four years in a row. And then the interesting thing was after September 11th and after the travel economy, which is the economy that I primarily serve, um, after that started having difficulty, I was able to uh, gather a number of other consultants together and I had always had a virtual firm, but uh, brought some other people together who were very, very interested in, in uh, you know, kind of jointly selling our capabilities. But our biggest year ever was the last year that I focused on consulting, which was 2005. And we did 40 projects for 20 clients, but it was the first year I ever lost money. And I had given the example uh, in my email uh, that went out to the Executive Girlfriends Group today of uh, what my friend Alain tells me about. It's so much easier to sell airplanes than pencils. And what happened that whole year is we were selling pencils. We were selling small deals for whatever people would spend and not holding to our own standard of the, the deal size that really fit our strategy. 
So I learned that lesson uh, in a really, really hard way and ended up actually walking away from consulting for five years, and I'm just now uh, reengaging in that after five very entrepreneurial years. But, Barbara, I'd, I'd be very interested. I mean, you told a bit of the background of the Inuit whale hunters. Um, the next chapter is about uh, the signs of the times, and, you know, you talk about difficult and, and complex uh, sales processes and also the, the times that we're facing. Tell us a little bit of, of what's behind that chapter. Well, what's behind that chapter is indeed that times are changing. And the, the difficulties that you're expressing, Chicky, that you went through in your company, they're repeated. You know, not that there are any less true or any less difficult for you, but they're repeated day after day after day in small businesses, 22 million small businesses around America. The the most difficult thing that a small business owner can do is to learn how and when to say no and then stick to it. So part of what we learned from the Inuit is that they were extremely focused They spent all winter preparing for a whale hunt. They were extremely focused. We're going to get a whale. And the reason they were focused on getting a whale, I mean, this is significant because they live in a land where nothing grows. So they can only survive on, you know, killing some living creature, unfortunately. So... They could fish, which they did, and if they fish, they feed their family for an evening, or they could hunt a caribou or a seal, and maybe they could feed a few families for a few weeks. But if they could get a whale, they could feed their whole village for a year. So the whale hunt was their way not only to survive, but to thrive and to continue to grow. So they put all of their corporate resources, all of their teaching of their children, all of their training, all of their long, winter-long preparation into this whale hunt that they did every spring. And so we don't advocate that you just try to build your business around one whale, but that you think bigger continually And part of thinking bigger is to absolutely rid yourself of things that don't fit. Just don't chase them. And that's the hardest thing. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. Saying no to, to business, particularly in this economy, is very difficult. But, you know, we have learned over the last 15 years what kinds of clients end up draining us and what kind actually feeds us. And, and I think that, that that's a really important thing to learn, whatever business that you're in. And, uh, you know, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, finding something that's actually going to feed the village and knowing what your village is is the other thing. And for me, I realized uh, during this last couple of years that what I really wanted to do was to provide a thriving business where other people could make money alongside me, people who yeah, that's perhaps great. weren't people who perhaps weren't as good at at going out and doing the rainmaking. And and so uh I've been really feeling um you know a gap in my life because uh, for the last couple of years you know I've been back to being a one man band. 
and am just now uh, we just landed uh you know one of our first big whales of of uh the next 12 to 18 months and it is going to feed the village for a while it's great well you you're just highlighting a number of things that are consistently true among small businesses um whale hunting is is typically an activity that requires more than a single person to either land and or deliver. And so part of what you're doing with your um, executive girlfriends group is uh, creating a team of people who are available to help each other, which is a, which is a good thing. And, um, the, the whale hunters process, as we promote it and advocate it, has a very robust set of tools. So when I say learn to say no, that, that I don't mean that just philosophically. I mean we have a whole set of tools that we call it the target filter and the whale chart and the whale signs. We have a whole set of tools that help you define what would your ideal client look like. Right. How can you take that set of criteria into a business database and come up with list of names of companies or organizations that you want to go after, how can you research them, watch them in the marketplace, etc. So you have a really powerful basis to say yes or no, not just um, you know, not just a philosophy or a see the pants decision. Right. And you know, Barbara, we we talk about that in the context of entrepreneurs or small businesses, but but actually, Chapter Three, which is called "Know the Whale: Defining Your Ocean, Charting Your Waters, and Creating a Target Filter," um, I find as we talk to our corporate um, clients uh, from the consulting side, that many of them are still operating under old rules of engagement. And they know what the what the ocean has been for the last 30 years, uh, particularly in my industry. And just to give you an example, in the travel industry, only 15% of all uh, travelers fly. The other 85% drive. Yet all of the travel technology, all of the travel distribution infrastructure is all geared toward that air traveler. And, uh, you know, I've been spending the last couple of years trying to get them to understand that that ocean has actually shrunk right before their very eyes. And, in fact, if they don't turn their eyes to this other ocean, they're going to be overtaken by it. And I, I don't know how often you run into that because I would think that it's actually quite rare for an industry to have such a huge opportunity that is untapped. Um, but I would love to hear how you would explain uh, the fact that the definition of the ocean that you've had and known for a long time may no longer be valid. Oh, that, that's just such an exquisitely important point. In fact, Chicky, I would say that there are so many industries that have gone through or are going through that transition. Our transition from the 20th century to the 21st century economy, we don't begin to understand it yet. It is so completely extraordinary and whale hunting is extremely important for people in industries that are undergoing that kind of transition so that's why it begin, begins with 
you know, taking a fresh look at who's out there. Who are your customers? Who are your competitors? What do your customers want? What's your brand promise? What are you trying to do? If you're if you're still trying to do something that people don't want you to do anymore or they're over it or they're doing it differently, I mean, I could say that banking and all kinds of financial services, uh, certainly uh, insurance, certainly real estate, construction, uh, you could look at so many industries that have been turned on their ear uh, with globalization and the introduction of uh, instant communications. It's about maybe 30 years old now. So most industries, most companies in most industries really, really benefit from taking a cold, hard look at what their ocean looks like. And so once they have gotten their arms around that and they and they have adjusted to the new normal and, and where we are today, they've created uh-huh. this target filter and they know what they're going to do. And, you know, what I find, and, and I think that your Chapter 4 is, is likely addressing this in, in great detail, is quite often they'll go ahead and then just send out the troops, you know, send out the people to go and, and actually kill the whale and bring it in. And your Chapter 4 is all about sending out the scouts. And so there's right. still work to be done before you, you know, go out contract in hand trying to bring in business. Yes, there is, and that's a huge differentiator. And all of you who are listening to this call, all of you can can do this. As a small business owner, practitioner, if you figure out how to invest in uh, some really high-quality research about the companies or organizations or membership associations that you want to do business with, it can reap huge rewards. And what Chicky's talking about in this chapter is how to create dossiers about particular companies, organizations that you specifically want to do business with, how to learn everything you want to learn about them, how to know who are the key contacts, what you need to know about them, etc. And we we offer a lot of advice about how to get that done, including hiring an intern from your local college or university or just having coffee with a public librarian or a college librarian in your community. It's not expensive. It's not hard. But it it seems to be kind of forbidding to some people and to most of your competitors. So we try to teach you how to make it so easy and very, very inexpensive. And it gives you a tremendous advantage over bigger competitors in particular. Right. And, Barbara, you know, when when a whale hunter goes out, I doubt that they simply go out into the, into the waves and the wind and close their eyes and, and throw their harpoon. So the, Chapter 5 is all about setting that harpoon and, and to actually – Know where you're going. Uh, obviously, if you've done your work on sending out the scouts and figuring things out, you're ready to go. Talk to me about the aperture of perception. I love that word, aperture. I'm just going to say it again, aperture. <laughs> okay. Well, an aperture is what you have on the lens of your camera. 
And so, you know, if you want to take a great picture, you kind of zero in on the part that's beautiful or whatever you're trying to capture and and nothing else makes it into the picture. So the aperture of perception is my metaphor for how you want to present yourself and your company. So let's just assume we're small and um, we want to appear bigger than we are. Well, we have within our control how the prospective customers, the whales, if you will, how they visualize us. So everything from your website to how your phone is answered to how your place of business looks if people come to visit you. Uh, we have a we have a tool on the aperture of perception that has, I think, a list of ten things that you can attend to. But this is all about appearing to be bigger and more sophisticated than maybe you are or maybe you feel. And I don't mean this to be pretending. It's more like putting your best foot forward. But the more you do that, the more you kind of opt into being professional at a higher level than a solo entrepreneur or a small business owner typically is, the more you really become who you aspire to be. And so that part of part of whale hunting is setting yourself up to be more appealing to bigger com- companies, bigger customers, bigger deals, and then using that as a springboard to really being a provider to bigger companies and a bigger, more sophisticated organization. Well, I think that's a really important point, Barbara. And and I can tell you that um, without having known that this was an important part of the methodology, I I actually mastered this fairly early on uh, when my Mm -hmm. firm grew so large. And again, we, we were still a virtual company in that it was just basically my husband and myself and we had uh, a controller who worked for us, and, and later on I, I did hire an administrative assistant. But when we would go to trade shows, rather than having the you know kind of pipe and drape uh, booth that everyone else had, we always rented a a leather um, love seat and uh, a, a leather chair and uh, set it up like a little living room. And so I'd have the same booth space everybody else did, but I'd have a coffee table and a nice lamp and and uh, a beautiful. Um, uh, you know, palm tree or something, making it look very homey. And the the actual unintended consequence of that is it ended up being the most comfortable place to be. So I always had people lined up to come and talk to me. And it was the most wonderful uh, investment I ever made. Because, you know, I could have uh, taken out a, um, a sponsorship where I, you know, put my name on the back of the chairs or on the bags, but there was nothing better uh, than, than that. For the very reason that you talk about, I looked much, much bigger than I was, and I had these credentials. We had just uh, built LasVegas.com for two of the major casino companies, and, you know, that was the kind of job that would normally go to Accenture or uh, Boston Consulting Group, and, and so... Uh, I, I was able to create that air uh, of a larger company. Um, what are some of the other kinds of practical things that you have seen smaller companies do to be able to compete uh, on the same even footing as the larger firms? 
It's more of what not to do, really, than what, well, it's a combination of what not to do. Your example is is just a perfect, perfect example. And your website is a great example. The Executive Girlfriends Group is a professional business and friendship kind of organization. And so it, it has the... It it has a lot of personality in it, but the way the website is presented to the world, it's not what I it's not what I think of as cute. It's not homey. It's professional and yet friendly. And a lot of small businesses in in their efforts to uh differentiate and in their efforts to um communicate to prospective customers how personal or personable they are, they do a lot of things that I just define as cute. And I always ask people to really spend time examining the websites of the biggest and best companies in your space and make sure that you're not doing anything that they wouldn't do and try to look like them. Well, I think that's great advice, but I I also want to point out, though, that it doesn't have to be horribly expensive. You know, what you see on on the Executive Girlfriends Group site or on our corporate site, which is solutions.com, um, those are sites I have created a hundred percent myself, mm-hmm. and you know, right down to all the graphics on it, all the copy. Now, I mean, granted, I'm not a copywriter for a living, and I'm sure somebody who does that for a living could do a much better job. But if you can't afford to have a professionally built website, the tools that are available now make it so so easy. So, you know, I think it is possible, uh, you know, to go ahead and position yourself in that way. And and thank you for pointing that out, that it's not so much what you do as much as what you don't do, because uh, I've seen that same kind of thing. Right. It's, it's, this is the kind of thing that it, it doesn't have anything to do with money. It's almost kind of having to do with taste, but you need to elevate your taste into what is the taste of the big company and the big client. So you're absolutely right, Chicky. It doesn't have anything to do with money. It has to do with that aperture and how do you choose to present yourself. And you, you do it exceptionally well. And anybody that's investing in any kind of marketing, you have a choice, multiple choices, about what's the message you're sending out into the market. You can send a message that conveys we're so professional, we're big enough. I mean, you can just not pay attention to the size. Just be professional, sophisticated, direct, and not at all um, um, cute. That's the best word I know, just right. not at all cute. And I'll I'll just give you a couple of examples of cute. Some small businesses love to introduce the members of their team in great detail and they have uh, the names of their pets and their favorite song. Now, I know we have this in Executive Girlfriends Group, but we're not selling to each other. That's our internal conversation. When we're out in the marketplace 
they don't care the names of our pets. They don't care our kids. They don't care our favorite song. They don't need to know what decade we grew up in. We want to be completely, totally professional and get all of that out of the way and has nothing to do with money. So let's talk about actually getting to the point where you're uh, getting ready to capture the whale. I, I think it's really interesting, and again, I love the whole whale metaphor, that, that Chapter 6 talks about that you actually have to ride the whale for a while. It, it isn't just an opportunity comes in the door, you know that you can uh, fill it, and you hand them a contract and say, okay, let's start next Monday. Now, actually, in the heyday of consulting, I actually did a lot of deals like that, So, uh, but they didn't tend to be the whale-sized deals. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, you're, you're going to launch out, you're going to analyze what's going on, got to make sure you got the right right amount of power behind you. So, so the stage of riding the whale before you're ready to capture. Right. We we use the metaphor strictly from the Inuit people when they went out after whale, they launched their boat. And so we use the metaphor of launching the boat as when you make an executive decision that we're going to go all out to try to land this particular account. And that means we're going to allocate the resources that it will take to do that. It also means that we have that we think we can win. I don't ever advocate that you launch a boat expedition. You launch a boat to get a particular whale, and you have already reasons to believe that you can win. So coming from the metaphor, when the when the Inuit harpooner placed the harpoon inside the whale, they didn't have the whale yet. They were just connected to the whale. And the whale could swim and dive and go out to sea, and they're connected to it by a bunch of ropes. And so it, it took some time before they could tire the whale out and until it actually died because the harpoon didn't kill it. So whale-sized accounts typically have a much longer sales cycle than your normal or your average accounts. And you need to be prepared for that. That's that's the whole point of it. You need to understand, and as you build your whale hunting process, as we've defined in our, in our book and in our online materials, as you build that process and begin to put it into place, you get better and better at estimating the amount of time that it usually takes or ought to take from this step to the next step. And so you have more predictability. But nevertheless, it takes a long time if you're selling to a big company, even to get a meeting with a half a dozen people who are going to be influencing this, the, the decision. It can take weeks to just get them to bring people together. You just need to be prepared <laughs> right. for that. <laughs> yes, I'm, I am always, well, I'm, I'm, uh generally thankful that I'm out of that world uh because yeah. <laughs> when you do try to get a meeting you know again you're right sometimes it can be 4 weeks before you can mm-hmm. get all the right people in 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 the room and I think what in the world are they all spending their time doing right that something so, so critical you know ends up just falling into that that right. meeting 
uh, meat grinder, you know, of, of just, you know, kind of first in, first out, and, oh, sorry, my schedule's full, and there's no ability in that uh, that structure to actually prioritize. That's right. So you, it's your job as the small company, it's your job to learn from from your experience because you begin to track this, is four weeks to the next meeting, is that normal? Um, if so, I'm doing fine. I just need to understand that's normal. What would be abnormal? If it's abnormal, then I'm in trouble. Right. Either they're losing interest or um, we have a problem at this step in our process or our sales team needs better training or coaching. Right, right. Well, I think, you know, then as you get to this next step, which is outlined in Chapter 7 of actually capturing the whale and, and you're you're ready, but there's still that last step of discovery and disclosure that has to happen back and forth. And some of that, you know, you've already done in this pre-process. But I can tell you from, from an entrepreneurial perspective and particularly in selling services as we do in the consulting um, part of our company – um, one of the things that is so, so difficult is is by this time you're actually getting a little bit worn out, uh, you know, in the sales process. Yeah. And, and they they wear you down sometimes when it comes to the negotiations. And I remember uh, in this large deal that we just won, um, you know, this was the first time in 15 years that I've ever had to fly somewhere to pitch a deal where they made us pay our way. Um, you know, generally we have always required that if someone wanted us to come and pitch on site that they pay our way. And so the new economy hit me smack dab in the face on that one. And then the second thing was when we started contract uh, negotiations, we always require a deposit up front. And they said, we never pay a deposit. And then, of course, you know what's going to come on the back end of that, that, you know, from the time you submit your invoice to the time you get paid, you know, maybe 60 to 90 days. And, uh, you know, I I know I'm not the only one who runs into that kind of thing. And and when you're working for a large firm, uh, you know, a Fortune 100 or Fortune 500 company and you're out trying to win business, you know, that's not such a bad thing because – you know, you've got the cash flow uh, to stand behind it. But as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, when you can sometimes go three and four months in between deals, uh, then to have to wait several months for payment can be very, very painful. So, again, that whole uh, progressive discovery and and disclosure and making sure that you understand, uh, you know, what the process is going to be and, uh, you know, in refining your proposal uh, to uh, the client that you're making sure that you're taking care of yourself and not having that battle fatigue of of having been uh, pulled around on the harpoon and in the boat. Exactly. You you just need to understand if you want to do business with big companies or big organizations, that's how it is. Yes. So you need to work with your banker. Heaven forbid. I mean, banking is in trouble, but there are still bankers who will absolutely work with you. You need to be prepared that it's going to be 90 or 120 days before any invoice gets paid. You need to make your contract as simple as possible. You need to be prepared to sign their contract 
unless right. it's horribly onerous because they don't have to do business on your terms. Exactly. And even when you have a signed contract, this is the part that we call sewing the mouth shut, you're still extremely vulnerable because if mm-hmm. you're small and they're big, even if they've signed a contract, you don't really have any recourse if they don't honor it, and they know that. Right. So um, my advice always is make this as easy as possible. No, you're probably not going to get a deposit. And when you, if you if you think of it that way, think of how you can put your proposal together, where you know the initial thing that happens is you get paid five thousand or ten thousand dollars for X Y Z, kind of prior to the big piece of work that you're going to get. You can be very creative exactly. in how you design your plan of work, and that will help you get paid sooner. So let's talk about once you've sewn the mouth shut and, and gotten yourself covered from those things where you really could get hurt in a deal. Um, the next step in Chapter 9 is beaching the whale. So talk to me just a little bit about that process. Well, the whole point of beaching the beaching the whale is that um, in a lot of the small companies that I've worked with, there's a huge disconnect between the sales process and the whatever you would name the delivery process, the operations, the customer service, the product or service delivery. The the more you are uh, providing services, the bigger disconnect this can be. And so the salespeople are out selling all the bells and whistles of this is what it really could be. And the operations people want to deliver a product off the shelf. And so unless they're in constant communication, which typically they are not at all, it's a huge disconnect and a huge barrier to growth the companies hit at some key times in in their growth, and so the notion of beaching the whale is that even if you get really good at selling these projects or products or deals, unless you can deliver them at a high level of excellence, you're just going to doom your company. They can literally eat you alive. They'll be killer whales. They right. have much higher demands. If you learn to meet those demands, you'll get bigger, better, stronger. But if you can't meet those demands, you'll you'll die. So that intake process, which is a handoff, all of the handoffs are problematic, and those are places that we devote a lot of attention when we work with companies. Got it. And so uh, the last couple of of chapters are obviously, uh, you know, winding down and and really setting you up, uh, I would imagine, to go and get the next whale internally within the company. So honoring the whale is is chapter 10, and I'll just read uh, the the intro text here. You know, building a fast-growth culture, making and keeping promises, improving your handoffs, and control barnacles, which are those things, obviously, that can come out of nowhere but uh, create a lot of problems. 
Right. Let me just back up to how this relates to the um, Inuit story, because I think it's a critically important point. The Inuit whale hunters believed, in fact, when they when they beached a whale and then they harvested that whale and they put all the meat and blubber and whale oil and they stored it all, the same boat that brought the whale in took the whale's head. They never touched the head. They took the head intact back out into the Bering Sea and they allowed it to sink because they believed that the whale was reborn. So we use that whale hunting metaphor to refer to big customers, big business. And if at the end of that story the whale is dead, then it's not a very good metaphor. The reason it's a great metaphor is that in their belief system, the whale was reborn. And so our notion of honoring the whale is that you help everyone in your company recognize that the whales are why we live. They're why we have jobs. They're why we eat. They're why we exist. And so honoring is just the word that I've chosen to represent how you serve uh, the customers that you land. And so, yes, if you really treat them with honor and respect, you would hope to get more business from them in the future and from their friends. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, you know, most of us know that as, as uh, you know, kind of under-promising and over-delivering. But, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to to the whole description about honoring the whale culturally, I think that that brings a whole new dimension to it. And so the last one, I actually love it, and, and this is a great way uh, to end the book and to end the interview, is talking about celebrating the whale, conducting the, the lessons learned and, and making sure not to just look at look at it as a post-mortem, which tends to focus on the negative, but to actually communicate your gratitude. And, and then you also uh, throw in a couple of things here about, uh, I, I am certain, come from the Inuit culture of feeding the ravens and searching for ambergris. Tell us about yeah. that. Well, the the ravens, let me pick up on the ravens. In the Inuit culture, the raven is a friend of the village. The raven is someone um, in in our metaphor, uh, someone who wants you to win, someone who helped you win, someone who has your best interests at heart. And so if there are people who have helped you along the way, you want to recognize them and honor them and feed them, you know, give them uh, all the gratitude that you can so that they will continue to um, help you. The notion of searching for ambergris, I kind of love that term. Ambergris is a substance that whales produce, and when it is um, exposed to sunlight and, and air, becomes extraordinarily fragrant. It's kind of a waxy thing. And uh, a couple of centuries ago, it was used as a fixative for perfumes, and it was believed to be an aphrodisiac. So for its period of time, it was the most valuable substance on Earth. In fact, it's not legal to own it in the United States today because whales were killed just for the ambergris. And so we use that terminology, search for ambergris, as the 
very detailed, specific process of figuring out how you should sell new business to your existing key accounts when you bring right. them on board. And that's kind of the completing the circle of the nine phases of the process just goes back to the beginning again. Well, and interestingly enough, you know, you talked earlier about reward systems and aligning those. And one of the things I did on this particular project with my key strategist who was going to be working with me is I gave him, you know, a a large portion of his compensation, obviously, for what he was going to deliver on the project and then gave him another uh, amount of money that he could get paid if indeed he sells the next whale. Uh, within that client uh, of getting us to the the ability to actually do the execution phase, and and so aligning of that reward with his, I mean, I knew he would do a fabulous job anyway mm-hmm. on the project. That that was never an issue, but to always be thinking about making sure that you're uh, setting yourself up for the client not even thinking about going anywhere else, and and really making yourself indispensable. And, you know, just by such a thorough understanding, you know, of the culture, of the company, of their challenges and, you know, what the solution sets are. And and whether you're selling software or you're selling uh, services or you're selling products, I think it, you know, it really all is all about that customer relationship. Absolutely. And in the the whale hunters process and in what we teach and uh, uh, deliver to our customers in a variety of forms. There's a lot of detail about how you can take a group of trustworthy people who are your employees and associates and teach them how to behave like a 100% trustworthy company. Mm-hmm. So unlike um, just sales training, um, the whale hunters process is more comprehensive in that it's not over when you complete the sale. Right, right, absolutely. Well, it sounds like uh, that that is another book in the making. <laughs> well, Barbara, I thank you so much for sharing this. I know it, it was a lot to cover in a short period of time, but you did a beautiful job of painting this picture. And again, I think uh, for those of you who are directly involved in sales or who own your own company and have got to figure out how to get out of uh, the slump that we have been in, uh, this is an excellent investment, uh, just uh, both listening to this show and then, uh, again, going out and getting a, a copy of this book because uh, while uh, it's written in normal uh, book fashion with a, a normal hardbound cover, it really uh, is very much a workbook. So uh, make sure you get yourself a, uh, a workbook as you're going through this because I have a feeling that you'll need it. Uh, Barbara, why don't you tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you uh, because we do have people who will be listening outside of the Executive Girlfriends group, how they can contact you, and then those within the Executive Girlfriends group will, of course, be able to find your information on your profile on the egg site. Great. Thank you, Chickie. Well, the most the most important thing that I want to leave with you is that we have recently launched a very robust online community that mm-hmm. you can find through our website, which is thewhalehunters.com. 
and mm-hmm. you will see a big message that says join now. There's a free membership. There's also a subscription membership that you can try it out. You can be a free member for as long as you like. And we have amassed a huge amount of resources, both live and um, asynchronous resources to help people understand this process and find the tools and put it into use. You can all find me, Barbara, at thewhalehunters.com. If you want to get in touch with Rosemary, Chickie can put you in touch with her, or I can put you in touch with her if you want to talk to somebody. She, she actually hey. has a, a profile on, on the site as well, so okay, uh, great. I will make sure great. that that is available. Because she's our she's our on-site person in uh, Tampa Bay. We have on-site people all around the country, so uh, I can put you in touch with... Uh, on-site people as well. Yeah, on, that's um, great because the bulk of our members are not in Tampa. Uh, we we are right. all over the country and, and, in fact, just about to expand internationally. Yeah, and Judy, if I could just come on as Rosemary, we've got some really great partners out there, and I'm sure if, if people connect with, with the website, Barbara and Margie Trailer, and there will all pass them on to local contacts. Great. So the best thing I can recommend, and thank you for asking me, is visit thewhalehunters.com, join this online community, and then you'll get uh, access to a wealth of resources that will help you figure this out. You can buy the book from there and all of the other books as well. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, you're welcome to join our calls anytime. They are always on Fridays at 4 o'clock Eastern. Actually, we generally start at 4.05, so calling in at 4.05 is fine. Uh, We use the same number and the same password every single week. Uh, If you do have someone that you'd like to invite uh, just to visit a call, uh, we absolutely uh, encourage that, and uh, if you can just send me their their name and their email address, I can uh, send them an invitation so that they can also experience what we have available on our community site, which is a, a completely private site, uh, which is hosted by our friends over at Saber. Uh, it's a product called Cubeless.com. So thank you again, Barbara. And again, you guys are are welcome to stay for the balance of the call. Uh, But we do stop the recording at this time because what's set on the egg call stays on the egg call. That's great. Thank you, Chickie. Well, it's a great pleasure to be with you. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.